sheathe your sword, traveler, and stay a while. It's time for another thrilling installment of The Chaotic Neutral Chronicles. The Chaotic Neutral Chronicles is a serial adventure story written and produced by me, Michael Monaco, drawing on notes from a long-running tabletop campaign. Episode 22, Swamp Music. When we last left our heroes, the Hobgob Killin' Mob had reached the Hestor Vale. They met with Lord Marth of Berendel, who promised them gold in return for hobgoblin hands. After some bad dreams in the city of Witchford, the party headed north, although rumor has it there's trouble on the road ahead. Chapter 1, in which they do Plan Gamma with a cherry twist. From the trees, they had a pretty good view of the old road, Specifically, they had a good view of the crude blockade erected across it. A wall of logs about ten feet high, the tops sharpened to splintery points, stretching to the ditch on either side of the road. No carts or horses could pass this way. Lone travelers might be able to skirt the blockade with a lengthy detour through the backcountry, scrabbling up and down the ditches. But even then, you'd be in bowshot of the twenty-foot watchtower in the center of the blockade. A pair of hobgoblins stood in the tower, leaning against the rail, looking bored out of their minds. With his spyglass, Nutmeg could count the individual nose hairs on each hobgoblin. What's the plan? asked Gil. Well, I don't know. Nutmeg sat back and scratched his chin. On one hand, it uh, should be easy enough to put a bolt in their heads and keep moving. Enabor, uh, you say we just need to get north, right? Right. Okay, but... Now, on the other hand, we, we can't tell if there's more of them behind the fortifications, and I mean, I'd bet there are. Would have took a good gang of workers to get this sucker built. Burn it down? Suggested Sister D. I mean, I like that idea. I knew you would. But I, I gotta say, I am a little curious about why they're here. Yes, agreed Enabor. This palisade was not here when I departed. Yeah, that was like four months ago, though. The point stands, said Nutmeg. This road doesn't really go anywhere. Why bother building a whole-ass fortification across it? Especially since it's so far from where we've heard the horde is gathering, you know? So? I'm thinking we do a Plan Gamma with a cherry twist. Why do you come up with these stupid code names that we never use? Just tell us what the plan is. No. You're gonna tell me it's dumb. Well, Nutmeg, maybe it is. No, it, it's a good plan, actually. Look, here's the deal. You guys just chill up here. Gil, Anabor, be ready to start shooting when the fighting starts. D, if you want to do like a Plan Omega variant with Nutmeg, please. Yeah, you're no fun. Gil waggled his eyebrows at that. He'd been weird since Witchford. Perverted little elf. Fine, fine. When the fighting starts, mount up and come down with a big spell. Can, can you do some sort of like fire spell? Sister D sighed. It's not... A spell, Nutmeg. I'm not a conjurer. I'm not an arcanist. I am a radiant servant of Palladius, and I will pr pray to him for a big fire spell. Cool. Yep. Got it. Thank you. Nutmeg spoke his command word, and his enchanted armor transformed itself. Now, instead of a plain burnished breastplate, 
He wore a black and twisted set of lamellar plates, with great spikes atop his shoulder pauldrons and a leering, skull-shaped helm. Fuck, man, that's pretty gnarly, said Gel. Yeah, it is. I'm going for uh, Hobgoblin Couture. Think I nailed it? I have seen more impressive garb, said Enabor, deadpan. Uh, okay, jeez, whatever. Here goes nothing, folks. Nutmeg backtracked through the trees for almost a half mile before returning to the road, all on foot. He had some vague notions about a plan that would only be hampered by being on horseback. He whistled as he walked, heading north like any old tourist in hellfuck armor. He was a hundred feet from the blockade when the first arrow landed at his feet. He raised his hands. I come in peace, he called. Fuck off, replied one of the hobgoblins. Road's closed, get out of here. No, I, I know the road is closed, shouted Nutmeg. They sent me here as backup. We're all, we're all friends of Dogda here, right? What? For fuck's sakes, he mumbled. Can I come a little closer? Yeah, okay, but no funny... I, I know, no funny business. He approached the watchtower. It was really just a raised section of wall in the center of the blockade. The builders had put a gate in the base, presumably just in case they needed to actually use the road at some point. A long-term structure, then. Weird. Look, I, w I was saying, I'm, I'm here on Red Hand business. Hail Dogda, am I right? A third hobgoblin appeared. This one looked uncannily like Forg of Katakar, big, bare-chested, with a red claw tattooed on his chest. He brandished a sickle much like Forg's. You speak the name with too much bravado, dwarf. Who sent you? Are you the, uh, are you the clawbearer? At that, the hobgoblin raised an eyebrow. Yes. Well, the boys out west told me to report to the clawbearer at the blockade on the north road, and here I am. Didn't you know I was coming? No. The clawbearer glowered down. Where are you bound? Helping you guys, you know? <laughs> Look, I'm a, I'm a big Dogda-worshipping dude. I, I love Dogda. Here to help however I can. Stop saying the name. The clawbearer looked truly uncomfortable. Fine. Slabrag, Gornuk, open the gate. The gate creaked open. That meant at least two more hobos beneath the watchtower. Thanks, fellas, said Nutmeg. Thanks a bunch. He set down his pack on the ground and rummaged about. It had to be in there somewhere. He had stocked up in Dwaraway before they left. What are you doing? Got something for you. A gift from the Worm Lord? The clawbearer grinned. Some good fermented goat's milk? Mmm, it's been a while. Nah, tastier than that. Nutmeg paused. The... the Worm Lord? The clawbearer shrugged. You said the Worm Lord out west sent you, no? He frowned. W wait a second, you... you don't know who... Nutmeg's hands closed around a little glass vial. Aha! He stood. Eat fire, dipshit! Nutmeg hurled a vial of Tinkerer's fire up into the watchtower. It burst against the logs, and flame blossomed where it fell. Several things happened all at once, then. One of the hobgoblin archers grew a crossbow bolt, like a unicorn's horn. The clawbearer vaulted the watchtower through the flames to the ground below. The other hobgoblin archer blew a little horn, tooting out the sound of alarm. And, in answer... Two great hulking, hairy, stinking ogres came barreling around the fortified wall, stomping through the ditches and hooting. 
The sound of hoofbeats was behind him. Sister D was riding now. There was no time to look, though, because the clawbearer had his sickle claw high. Nutmeg left his pack on the dusty road and swung his axe free from its leathern thongs on his back. He two-handed it, one hand just below the blade, the other at the base, as he caught the sickle on the haft of the axe and turned the blow aside. He let go with the higher hand. The weight of the axe head dragged the sickle out of the clawbearer's hand. Nutmeg joined his hands at the base of the axe and swung so hard he threw himself backwards. It worked. The clawbearer, split in two, fell dead. Easy enough, but the ogres were coming. More hobgoblins had taken up position on the flaming watchtower and rained arrows down at him. Most clattered off his armor. A few pierced through. He snarled at the pain. At least these ogres were unarmed. Oh, oh, no, wait, that one just grabbed a log. A oh, pointy log, too. Fuck. Palladius, cried Sister D, and she rode through now, her mace blazing with holy light, her shield a mirror of the flames licking at the fortifications. She raced atop daybreak like a bolt of lightning and darted towards the ogre on the right. With another cry, she swung her mace. The ogre took it on the knee, and in the knee, and through the knee. She blew his patella to pieces. Nutmeg cheered, and then all the wind left him as the second ogre struck him. Center mass. He staggered back, dug in his heels. Got angry. Like a whirlwind, he was on the ogre. He jumped high, axe bright and flashing. He buried it in the ogre's shoulder, digging as deep as he could. The thing howled and swung its other arm, flailing. It knocked him loose from his axe, which stayed lodged in the big bastard's shoulder. Nutmeg landed hard on the ground. The ogre wrenched the axe free in a gout of steaming blood. Oh, great. Now it had a nice weapon. Nutmeg ducked its first clumsy swing and closed the gap. Gimme that, he growled, and grabbed it by the wrist. A wrist that was the same circumference as his neck. The ogre was all muscle, but Nutmeg was strong. Stronger than this big ugly fuck. For a moment, the two of them were locked together, the ogre straining against Nutmeg's death grip. Then something, a bone probably, gave way in the ogre's arm. There was a snap, and it hooted with displeasure, and now both of its arms were useless. Nutmeg retrieved his axe, and took the thing's head off. He turned back to the blockade. It was burning, but not badly. The hobgoblins had smothered a good part of the flames. He took a moment, a fleeting moment, to gaze through the open gate at the back side of the watchtower. Two supports on the back propping it up while the rest of it relied on the log wall. He spat blood. Uh, not sure where that came from. Uh, maybe the ogre had knocked something loose in him. He set his shoulders. He gritted his teeth. He charged. He ran through the gate, dragging his axe behind him. A hobgoblin leapt down a ladder and brandished a machete at him, but he just ran right through the fucker. His gaze was set on the back struts of the watchtower. He'd felled trees before. He'd hewn great logs. His axe could do anything and still hold its edge. He swung and bit into the tower, then again, and again. When the hobgoblin reached him, trying to stop his mighty swings, he took a moment to hack the fellow's hand free from his arm, and then he kept chopping. Lumberjacking. The strut groaned and folded, giving way as he splintered the wood. It was weak. Weak enough. He swung his axe behind him, affixed it to his back, and then threw himself at the splintered log. It gave way, and with a terrific crash, the whole of the watchtower came tumbling down. Something struck him, and he fell still. Chapter 2 
in which Enabor discusses his cultural attitudes towards promiscuity. You really can't be doing stuff like that. Sister Dundala had laid Nutmeg out by the roadside, dragging him free from the wreckage. Gail would have offered to help, but he had to grab a toe from that ogre. A lot of weight added to his toe necklace. Hmm, maybe he would need two toe necklaces to store all the toes. Enabor walked among the smoldering ruins, planting a swift and merciful arrow in the throat of any hobgoblin he found still breathing. Ugh. Nutmeg groaned and tried to sit up. Gail shook his head. Nutmeg, dude, why did you do that? We could have just picked them off. You know I'm a good shot. It was efficient. I mean, it's only efficient if we don't have to waste an hour putting you back together. You're lucky I'm familiar with your body, said Sister D. It makes the healing a little easier, but even then you'll be sore for a long time. Yeah, I'll bet you're familiar with his body, said Gil. What's that? Sister D stood, wiping her hands on her breeches. Hmm? Come on. You were in the same room last night at the inn. I mean, it's fine. You guys do what you want. Ah, are they copulating? asked Enabor, sidling up as he unstrung his bow. I had assumed that was happening. We are not copulating, said Nutmeg. Sister D was blushing. For real. In, in fact, Sister D was in my room because she heard me yelling. Same as you, Gil. So there. I know other cultures have different attitudes, but my people take an easy view of copulation and couplings, said Enabor. Desires of the body are not to be ignored. Oh yeah? asked Gil. You guys are down to clown then? Enabor nodded. I am not particularly familiar with that idiom, but I think I grasp your meaning. Yes, we are comfortable with the fulfillment of physical desires, whether accompanied or not by emotional entanglement. Sweet, said Gil. If we are quite finished, said Sister D, I think we can get moving. Nutmeg, you, you broke a ton of ribs, again. I put them back together as best I could, but you also took quite a dinger to the head, too. Take it easy for a day or two. Don't, don't, you know, bring any more buildings down on your head. Deal. Enabor, do we keep going up from here? Our course will shift, said the elf. Up the road a little further. We are close to the fens now. Kal Ramath, home of my people, is best reached on Owlback. But there is a footpath through the swamp, the Fenway. We will reach it by sunset, travel tomorrow in the fens, and the day after tomorrow, Kal Ramath will be before us. But first, declared Gel, we have some hands to collect. Lord Marth didn't, uh, didn't mention anything about ogre hands, did he? Nah. Should we take him? Nah, too big. Besides, we've got... Hang on. Gel walked among the bodies. 35 gold pieces right here. Come on, I'll get a sack. Once their work was done and their bounty cash collected, they helped Nutmeg into the saddle. The dwarf did look pretty fucked up, even with Sister D's handiwork. Heh. <laughs> Her handiwork. Bet she'd done some handiwork, all right. Gel chuckled to himself at that one. By the time they made camp for the night, the fens were in full view. Where for a time they had traveled with the thick forest on their left, the trees thinned out and gave way to open fenland, riddled here and there with pools and streams. The evening sun lit on a thin mist that hung just above the ground, wreathing everything save for the tallest hills with a gauzy haze. At night, Gel sat awake listening to the strange noises from the wetlands. Bird calls and toad croaks and night noises that Gel did not recognize. 
the splushings and splashings of small animals interrupting still water. Come morning, they had to abandon the cart. Enabor apologized, saying, I do not think it will last long in the fens. Our horses will have a difficult enough time without trying to pull that thing. When Nutmeg looked like he was going to throw a fit, Enabor promised that his people would compensate them for the cart. That settled things. They left the road and descended into the fens. It wasn't long before they were forced to dismount. The horses were unhappy here and made for slow going over the wet and treacherous land. The turf was spongy and briars and brambles claimed the driest ground, forcing them to follow winding, worming streams. Enabor seemed to know where he was going, although every once in a while he would stop, shake his head, and mutter something about not having an owl's eye view. They'd been traveling half the day when they first heard the call. From the distance it came, a juddering shriek so high-pitched that Gel clapped his hands over his ears and gritted his teeth against the pain. It sounded like a carrion bird, some terrible eater of the dead. The horses whinnied and pranced, terrified. That's a normal thing, right, Enabor? asked Nutmeg. That's like a totally familiar sound that you just get used to after a while? No. Ah, fuck. What is it? asked Gel. Do you guys have lizard folk up here? We do, in fact. They, they dwell in the flooded city. But that was not the sound of the lizard folk. No, that was... Dagdaka. You said that word before, said Sister D. In, you know, when I... It, it is, as I said, a name given to a nameless thing. A recent specter of the Fens. None have seen it in person, but the star-voiced one of Kalramath understood its shape and form in the heady vapors. What? I... Enabor shook his head. There is too much to explain. Suffice it to say... The Dagdaka is a creature not of this world, and it stalks the fens in search of prey. We shall keep to the fenway, and keep our nightfire low, and in so doing shall avoid its sight. Come, we tarry too long. Chapter 3, in which something snaps. Night was falling over the fens. Enabor led them to a low hill capped by a trio of twisted, gnarled trees. The unbearable bugginess and humidity of the day was giving over to a thick, uneasy morass of darkness. The stars were hidden tonight by thin clouds like smears of grease, and the moon barely shone but a sliver. Gel appreciated Enabor's taste in campsites, at least. They were on a high place, and had a good view of the wetlands around them. The horses were none too pleased, but the grass atop the hill was green and sweet, and they seemed content to crop and water here at this oasis. We should take watches, said Nutmeg. Yes, agreed Enabor, it is best if we check around the hill as well, to ensure no lizard folk lie in wait. This would be far south for them, but they have been known to harass those who travel the Fenway. I'm on it said Gel. You guys get a fire going. Oh, I'm starving. He walked down the hill. The streams and creeks formed a little moat around their chosen campsite, albeit a moat of dark, unpleasant, algaic water, overgrown with cattails and cotton reed and long sawtooth grasses. Definitely possible for lizard folk to hide in the undergrowth here. 
He drew his rapier and used it like a frog sticker, poking it into the reeds along the bank. It brought to mind another night, long ago, a night he hadn't thought about in many, many years, spent walking the banks of the older river with Marietta Montrescu. A summer night much like this in the days of his youth before, well, before many things, before becoming Gelmakta. He stabbed out with the rapier, testing the reeds. It pierced something, something thick and big. He drew the blade out and held it up. In the faint light, he saw blood, red blood. What was it? He knelt and forced the reeds aside, drawing his hood around him to keep out the worst of the bugs. There were lots of bugs here, and not just the mosquitoes and gnats of the daytime. There were, there were flies, black flies and green flies, corpse flies. And there was the corpse. He wrinkled his nose. An owl, or rather half an owl, the lower half. He felt bile rise in his throat and staggered back. He'd seen nasty, but this was nasty. Something had chewed the owl in half. Something with jagged teeth. He heard it moments before it left the water. If he hadn't, he'd have died. He only just had time to roll aside, tumbling away as the dark shape shot from the shadows like a bolt from a bow. For a moment, Gil lay there in the shallow water, rapier in hand, gaping at the thing that stood before him. It was taller than a man, tall and thin and mighty, a cord of slime and gloom capped by a leering, grinning head with too many teeth. Queer wings jutted from its back, as if they'd been hastily glued on by a harried tailor. Its legs bent backwards at the knee, and its arms ended in long sickles. It cocked its ugly head back and let out that same shriek they'd heard before, only louder and worse now, far, far worse. Gel answered with his own cry. Hey, guys, it's, it's a thingy. They could interpret that. From the hilltop, the horses screamed in answer. The monster sprang. Gel rolled again, splashing through the water, struggling to draw his short sword. His hands were wet, his fingers slick. He jabbed out with the rapier as the thing descended on him. He must have caught a good blow because its next shriek came out angry. Then it lashed out with a scythe-like claw and met his rapier. The rapier snapped. Oh, Gel wailed, but there was no time to mourn. The thing was on him now, backwards legs on his chest, pressing him down until his head slipped under the water. He scrabbled at the hilt of his short sword, just an inch further, just an inch. Above the water, the pale swamp light glinted off the creature's upraised claw, and then a rumble, and the sound of thunder, and many hooves passing overhead. The creature was knocked senseless away, and Gel sat up gasping from the muck and ooze. The horses, they were panicked, and in their panic had overrun the monster, and then kept going. He watched Bloodhoof disappear into the night, and said some very awful slurs he kept in his back pocket for just this sort of disaster. The monster had been knocked away. Gale drew his short sword and ran to the beast. No time for mercy or investigation. He plunged down and down and down again, and the thing shrieked and spurted black blood and slime until at last it lay still beneath the stained steel. With its death rattle, it let out a final shriek, echoing across the wetlands. Something answered. A twin shriek, not more than a mile or two away. Gell! Nutmeg was on the downslope of the hill, axe at the ready. Gell, are you alright? Yeah, he broke my fucking rapier. Ah, shit, that sucks. Yeah. It was waiting for us, I'm sure of it. As soon as I found the owl, it jumped me. 
The owl? asked Nutmeg. Enabor and Sister D were coming down the hill now, too. Gel pointed to the place where the mutilated owl lay. Enabor knelt to inspect it. By the Jiditi Manani, swore Enabor. I know this owl. Old pals? asked Gel. Enabor glared at him. In fact, yes. This owl was the steed of my good friend Logellan. See this band around its ankle. With a quick movement, Enabor removed a metal band from the owl's leg. Yes, Mofo, the steed of Logellan. Alas for Logellan, and alas for Mofo. Yeah, alas and stuff, said Nutmeg, but there's more of those dog dickers out there. Dog Daka. Uh-huh, yeah. Are, are we close enough to Cal Ramath to make a run for it? No. Only on Owlback could we escape this place swiftly enough, but we, we have no- Hang on! Nutmeg dropped his pack and rifled through it with a madman's fervor. I've got this! Gel retrieved his snapped rapier from where it had fallen. It had broken a third of the way up and was now little better than a kebab skewer. Do you think there's a chance that this Logellan could be alive? asked Sister D. No, said Enabor. If, if we had Logellan's whistle, we could prove it, but I imagine this creature left Logellan lying in the swamp somewhere. Maybe, said Gel. Let me try something. He returned to the body of the Dugdaka. It had two-toed feet, he noticed. Snick, yoink, new toe. But he had more to do than just that. With a flick of his wrist, he opened the thing's belly. A great stink rose up, but he had smelled worse. He poked around with the tip of his sword. Bile, stomach juices, filth. Ah, bones, flesh, undigested giblets. And there... Soaked through with blood, he stooped and retrieved the lacquered wooden whistle from the entrails of the beast. Look familiar? he asked Enabor. I've got it! shouted Nutmeg at that same moment. He had produced a little glass vial filled with a weightless blue light. Remember? Uh, Alandor gave us this! Holiemus Aun! cried Enabor. The light of the moth star! Shatter it quickly! Nutmeg was a great shatterer. The glass tinkled with a musical noise, and then the blue light rose and grew and grew and grew, ascending like a balloon into the night sky. It took on the form of a moth as it grew, its wings fluttered, and with each flutter it glowed bright and brighter until it was hard to look right at it. Where it lifted away, a column of light remained behind it until a pillar of starlight rose from the hillock in the fens to the heavens above. Cool, said Gel. None at Kalramath could fail to see this, declared Enabor. He took the whistle from Gel. And yes, this bears Logellan's mark. Another shriek cut the night. I only pray we survive long enough to bring this news home. Yeah, I want to survive for a lot of reasons, said Nutmeg. You know, food, sex, drugs, alcohol, all the cool stuff. Money, offered Gel. Yeah, money, money. We have some goblin hands to trade in. And then I can use that money to purchase a new rapier said Gel. To collect more goblin hands? Yes. Another shriek from a Dagdaka split the night. Closer now. Even closer. And, and another one. Another cry from a different part of the wetlands. Fuck. Multiple bogeys closing in on the hill. Nutmeg looked to the skies. How long, Anabor? It depends. If there were no patrols on flight, then an hour. We don't have an hour. Enabor pointed skyward. Then it is fortunate for us that there were patrols on flight. 
How the elf was able to distinguish the owl riders from the night sky, Gil had no idea. Maybe it was an innate owl ridery thing. Either way, five owls came swooping down, circling around the pillar of light, graceful and silent as ghosts. One by one they landed on the hill, and their leader swung down from Owlback. Who's there? the elf called. She was taller than Enabor, and better dressed, too, with many, many coppery discs across her breeches and vest. Her hair was braided in a long golden cord behind her head. Who lights the whole Yemasaun? Jestar, cried Enabor. Is, is that you? Enabor? The elf peered at them, then motioned for another elf to light a lantern. It gave forth a pale yellow-green glow like a firefly's tail. Enabor, by the stars, it's you. But your steed, and, and these companions of yours. Jestar, Jestar, right? asked Nutmeg. The elf nodded. Great, hi, I'm Nutmeg. That's Gelmakta, that's Sister Dondala. It's very nice to meet you. We've got company coming. Dagdaka incoming. You dare? Jestar's eyes were wide. You dare speak an unutterable name? There is no time to explain, said Enabor. We, we found and fought a Dagdaka. They are real, and what's more, it had, it had eaten Logellan and most of his owl when we found it. He held up the owl's band and the whistle. Please, we need to leave this place. More shrieks cut the night. Jastar frowned. The star-voiced will need to speak to you. All of you, I wager, if what you say is true. But we have no steeds to spare, and no time to return to Kalramath for extra mounts. You will have to ride Clawborn. Fine, said Enabor. It is not far. Clawborn? Asked Nutmeg, looking a little green around the gills. Does that... <clears throat> does, that, does that mean what I think it means? That depends entirely on how intelligent you are, said Jestar. Yes, our owls will carry you home in their claws. Hang on tight, stout dwarf. It would be a long fall if your courage failed midair. Nah, uh I'm walking. Nutmeg! Sister D was as apoplectic as Gail had ever seen her. Don't be preposterous! We need to get out of here now! Nah, you remember what that soothsayer sooth said at me? Beware great heights. Come on, I'm not tempting fate. You fucking well are, said Gil. Chug some booze, Nutmeg. Booze? asked Jestar. Alcohol, explained Enabor. Actually, that's a good idea. J Jestar, do you have any moonshine? Moonshine? Nutmeg brightened. Actually, that'd be great. Of course, she replied. I always keep a draught with me, should the need arise. She produced a tall, thin bottle of some water-clear liquid. Nutmeg snatched it from her hands, unstoppered it, and chugged about half the bottle before Jestar grabbed it away again. This is potent magic, she said, horrified. A single sip would have been sufficient. No, I think Nutmeg did well, said Enabor. You have not seen the amount this dwarf can drink. More Dagdaka cries echoed around them. A pack, it seemed, out to hunt. Time to go, hopgob killin' mob. Time to- Oh, fuck, said Nutmeg. Unlike Nutmeg, Gil was fully awake when the owl seized him by the arms and carried him into the sky. For a moment, the world was laid out beneath him. Then a chill mist, icing him through his robes and armor as they rose through a cloud, and then they were above the clouds, in a world of midnight light beyond the reach of the fell beasts below. Safe, at least for the time being, as the owls bore them onward to the safety of Kal Ramath.
Thank you for listening to the Chaotic Neutral Chronicles. As always, I have been the writer and producer, Michael Monaco. This music you're hearing is It's Not a Game, written and composed by, well, me. If you liked the Chronicles, be sure to follow chaoticneutralchronicles.com or at CN underscore Chronicles on Twitter for updates. I've got articles about Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop gaming on the site, as well as the ebooks for seasons one and two, steals at the low, low price of a dollar apiece. Keep your swords sharp and your wits about you. The Chronicles will return in episode 23 on the Wings of Love.